What's up? Welcome to Translators Podcast. Yes, yes. Another amazing episode for us. And today we're going to be talking about Latino TV writers. We're going to have TV writers here. And um, every episode we do a trivia question based on the theme of our episode. Mm -hmm. We got our boy Jerry. El Modifoca. Very funny. Fellow podcaster. Representing uh, Afro-Latino writers. Did you get like a degree or like a master's in research? I'm going to answer yes to all of that. Okay. And is that laptop even on? Oh, it's on. Okay. Oh, okay. It's on. All right. I hope you're, I hope you're watching like safe stuff. Nothing. So let's get to the question. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what American TV show had the first all Latinx writers room? Mm. Mm. Sorry. It's not a. Go ahead. You can answer. Ugly Betty. No. But then why did you do that face thing? Because it was. It's a. It's a. It's a deception. Oh, okay. Uh, friends. No, I'm just joking. Really? Friend, I don't think Friends had a Latino on camera, no. much less off camera. Uh, I'm going to go with Jane the Virgin. Ooh, mm, good guess. Like yeah. No. No uh, virgins. No. Okay. The answer is Star's Vida. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I don't have cable, but I know that. Show. Well, you can download the app. Yeah. Right. I got that because uh, of power. Yeah. Shout out to Star's Vida for um, for having an all-Latino writer's dope. room. That's pretty it's dope. much less... Having one is like tough right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's great. So, but uh, on that note, let's yeah. start the show. It's not surprising that when it comes to TV writing, Latinos are underrepresented. According to the Writers Guild of America, as of 2020, only 8.7% of TV writers were Latino, which is too low a number. On the flip side, Latinos make up 33% of Postmates employees who deliver food to TV writers. Wait, is that a real statistic, Jerry? Uh, Give or take. I I think it's higher for Uber Eats. So even if the Postmate thing is not a real statistic, we made it up to spotlight how far Latino writers still need to go to be fairly represented in an actual television writer's room. Unless you're cool with Eva Longoria. Yo, that woman gets all her shows greenlit. So what you're saying is that housewife is not desperate. Eva uh, Hustler Longoria. Exactly. So if anybody's listening, knows her personally, we need her contact Mm -hmm. info so we can get her on season two. Please. Of course, look, there's always been Latino creators behind the camera. One early example was Emilio El Indio Fernandez. No relation to legendary salsa, house music, and Latin pop singer La India. Jerry, can we play a snippet of her music without getting sued? No, but I can bust out an acapella version of uh, Vivi Lo Nuestro if you want. No, you please know. don't. Please it's, don't. It's okay. Stop that. Okay. Anyway, Emilio Fernandez was a writer, actor, and director who was a prominent part of the golden age of Mexican cinema from 1936 to 1956. This was before Edward James almost, y'all. After working as a baker, a diver, a boxer, and an aviator. Damn, he had more jobs than my pops. Yes, he did, Jerry. Fernandez finally appeared in his first film in 1934. Emilio continued to write and direct, creating popular and critically acclaimed films. His 1944 film, Maria Candelaria, won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. But the most exciting for him, he had an actor brother named Jamie Fernandez. Wait, hold up. That's my name. Yes, it is, Jamie. But this Jamie Fernandez had a more impressive IMDb credits. Wait, what? No. Did he ever play a bodega cashier in Law and Order Special Victims Unit? Word. Okay, you got one on them. 
Yes. Take that, 1940 Jamie Fernandez. Can we move on? Of course. Now, the, the rise of television in the U.S. sadly didn't see many Latino writers or showrunners. Even successful shows like Chico and the Man and the George Lopez show had Latinos in front of the camera, but rarely in the writing and production credit. Eventually, though, things started to change. Gloria Calderon Calette became one of the most successful Latinx showrunners in Hollywood when she adapted Norman Lear's One Day at a Time. Great show, although I never understood why they kept the super a white guy. If there's any character that screams out, hire Luis Guzman, it's the super in a Latino sitcom. Mm. When Tanya Sriracha created the star series, Vida, she hired the first all Latinx writer's room. Vita's success changed the game for the Latinx LGBTQ plus representation on screen. Uh, let me just add, Mike, uh, Tanya Saracha also founded the Untitled Latinx Project, which aims to build an entertainment industry where Latino stories are represented authentically. Mm. Oh, thanks, Jerry. You're actually doing a good job. Good research. Surprise. Today, Latinos write for all kinds of Hollywood shows, including Selena the Series, Westworld, Queen of the South, Chicago PD, Stranger Things, and more. Any other facts we missed, Jerry? Uh, oh, shout out to indie comedy darling Julio Torres. Uh, he wrote for SNL from 2016 to 2019 before creating his own TV show, Los Espookies, mm. which I've been meaning to see when somebody lends me their HBO password. I'm, I'm borrowing it from someone yeah, else. I'm so, borrowing it from me. Um, so. Anyway, but yes, Julio had a lot of viral sketches when he wrote for SNL. With him there, SNL went from still no Latinos to some new Latinos. So... On this episode of Translators, we are very excited to have two real-life Latino TV writers here to talk to us about their passion, their path, and their process. So you know how we do. Let's start the show. Translators! Off. Sorry. Please. Um, okay, so again, we're all about the three P's, which is passion, uh, path, and process. When, what was that first project that you picked up that passion, you know? What was that project where you're like, yo, I love what I want to do? When I was just like out of college, I made this short film in Nicaragua called um, El Adroncito, which was, for me, incredible because as a Nicaraguan, you realize you're like even a minority among minorities right so when you're in the states here and on the east coast right it's all puerto rican dominican on the west coast it's all mexican and um you know you don't really see your culture represented at all you know and so when i went down there and i made this short film in my mother's hometown of masaya nicaragua it was it was just meant so much to me man we we um after we finished this, this short film, it was like a 15 minute thing, we rented out a theater in our little town and nice. we invited the whole town free of charge to come check it out. And it was just like, people put on their Sunday best, they came out to the, it was it was beautiful. And for me, that was like, it showed me the power of what these projects could really do. You know, kind of like what I want to do, which is, is really focus on representation of the, the people that mean so much to me in my life. So, you know, Nicaraguans, of course, but also, you know, Latinos in general across nice. the board and especially like East Coast Latinos who are my my brothers and sisters. So nice. And Dominic, for you, like when did you figure out your passion and what you wanted to do? I mean it was pretty similar. Um I had a couple of short films, but there was one in particular uh that was inspired uh, by my weight loss. I had lost mm -hmm. two hundred pounds. Um and I was having a rough time kind of reintroducing myself to the industry because like when you're working as an actor and you know people think they know you and you know like you have a certain look 
And then all of a sudden you don't look like that anymore. It went from like working to not working. Um, and I had a conversation with my manager one day and she's like, you know, Dominic, I don't feel sorry for you. She's like, you are an incredibly talented writer. She's like, you know, create something for yourself. And I did, I wrote a script that was uh, about a guy who after extreme weight loss was scared to have sex with his boyfriend without a shirt, raised all the money um, and we went, we shot it. And I remember being on set day one and seeing everybody. Uh, and even though we had a little budget, everybody got paid and that was really important. And I was like, wow, people are here because, you know, I had the bravery to tell, you know, this story that's specific to me, but that can touch so many. And I was like, I think this is, this is what I want out. I think I want, this is what I want my, the rest of my life, the trajectory of my career to be is like telling stories that can inspire, empower and entertain. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys remember the first, uh, writing job you got paid for, um, in actual cash, not like, you know, Hey, I owe you. You know what I'm saying? Like favors <laughs> or some shit. I'll start with Yamin. Yeah, man. It's this one I got right now. It's um, It's been a, a road, uh, you know, to say the least. But, um, you know, I worked in digital for the majority of my career, always with the dream of finally being a writer because that's what I wanted to do my entire life. And, you know, 20 years later, I, I got blessed with this opportunity to write for Saladin Patterson and uh, his Wonder Years reboot. And um, it's been awesome. I mean, like I mean, like my it's been in the past year and a half, so I totally remember it. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was uh, so I have a a, a a blind pilot at Hulu, and that was the first check that I, that I got, and I was like, wow, okay, I'm getting paid to like create and tell my story, uh, you know, and the, you know. It was a very empowering feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it took a while to get the check because sometimes Hollywood's a little slow. But... <laughs> Yamin talking about how you were working in another profession and 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 then and ended up actually get you know be, be, be becoming a professional writer. Um, were were you doing a lot of? How did you balance that nine? You know, working a nine to five and then working on your writing stuff. Like, how's that? Because I'm sure a lot of people relate to that, you know what I mean? Trying to, yeah. you know, trying their, to fulfill their dreams, um, their creative dreams, but also trying to balance that with like a real, a real job, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's, it's, abs I don't think I actually realized that I was working two jobs until I got this gig with the Wonder Years because, you know, when I was working in digital and, you know, I've been blessed too in digital, so I don't I don't want to like make it out to seem that I've been working some other type of job that was unfulfilling in any other way. Right. I, was, I was doing creative stuff. I was, you know, uh, heading up um, Univision's Flama Studio, which was all about bringing Latino voices to the forefront. Mm -hmm. So very blessed in that respect, but still, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. And you know, so I'd, I'd work this nine to five, and I'd get home, and I knew that I needed to like push forward and like do my own writing and try to like really get some you know, pilot scripts in the works, but I'd be exhausted, right? And, you, and that is the thing about working two jobs. You're exhausted and you just got to fight through it. And, um, you know, I would, I would come home and feel guilty for watching TV. I'd feel guilty for like hanging out with my kids. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I had to like always be on. It wasn't until I got this job and I, I clocked out for the day. I was like, oh, wait, I don't gotta, I don't gotta do anything. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm already writing. Uh, this is pretty dope. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, 
it's not easy. You know, it takes a lot of perseverance to try to, you know, do both things. Um, and uh, it, yeah, I've just been blessed to, to finally break through. And Dominic? Yeah, I mean, that, all of that stuff, like I, I did a lot of teaching work in addition to acting and writing. Um, there were days sometimes where I would be in four out of five boroughs, like teaching, like that where the hustle was non-stop. Um, and I think that hustle prepared me to where I am now because I'm in a writer's room, but the hustle's still real. Like, you know, you know, you have your own projects in development. You're like, you know, you're working. The writer's room is still very much, a, you know, a, a full-time nine to five, but then it's also like, you don't stop once you clock out the writer's room. You have to figure out, okay, I have this for something else or this or that, or like there's an idea that somebody wants to meet with. So um, yeah, it, it never stops. You guys are currently doing your writing stuff, and obviously a lot of times you're looking for advice and feedback. What is one of your best feedback, either negative or positive, that you guys can remember that really helped you? you got to live life, you know, and mm. that's such an important thing as a writer. You have to, like, really live life, right? Um, a lot of the times because you tend to write somewhat what you know you know obviously you know talented writers can always you know expand upon that but but your characters are kind of a reflection of your experiences in this world and if your characters aren't making active choices you know if your characters aren't being that thing that's driving story forward it's not going to be an interesting story so something that's very important is finding yourself you know as a creative starting to make those decisions starting to you know experience those things um in life that allows you to enrich all of your scripts that's interesting you say that you know there's gonna be a lot of like you know uh you know have life experiences but because of this uh pandemic there's gonna be like the last two years <laughs> yeah. people just been at home it's gonna be a lot of like mundane scripts in the next year or so just like oh wow like i haven't really like done anything like in the last the killer years. air fryer what am i gonna write about yeah <laughs> The espresso maker. But I, you know, but I, I really do think, at least for me, like I think because oftentimes a lot of, you know, in this pandemic, we had time alone. Yeah. So it's that really kind of getting to know yourself mm. um, is that makes for great material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you can find some, you can find some jewels in there, you know. Dominic, you have such an impressive resume when it comes to acting, power, Mr. Robot. Southpaw, to name a few, there's a lot of them. How has your acting experience helped you in the writing process? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think the fact that I know story, you know, and I, I, this goes back to writing too. Like, I was always learning. Um, you know, I was the type of person who, when I went to go see a play that wasn't very good. I was in my head figuring out how to fix it. What were the flaws? Where what could have they had done? Um, and I've always had that mind. When I was an actor, or you know, when I'm acting, uh, I was always when I could be in Video Village when I can't watch it, um, and I was always experienced like learning. I, it, it never just kind of was the dude who like showed up, you know, and then was out. So. You know, some writers have a specific uh, skill set, right? You know, like this guy's good. Like, for instance, I would say I'm I'm better at writing, you know, jokes than structure. So I'm really always trying to get my structure like on point. 
Mike's not a good speller, so that's his what he has to work I'm on. I'm great at that. The uh, people can relate to that. The people uh, who can't spell can relate. Do you recommend like just you know, just being really good at what you you know, what you're what you're good at as a writer? Or just try to continue to be a complete writer as much as you can um, and just, you know, keep developing your all-around your all around game, basically. Um, yeah. I, again, I'm, I feel like I'm always learning. Like, I came into it, um, you know, on the side of, like, theater and, like, and short films. And it's just, like, I didn't know anything about TV. So I took TV writing classes, you know. And, like, I – one of the things that kind of got me eventually repped and um, – I turned a, a script that was that I originally conceived as a short form series that people were like, yo, you should develop this, you know, as a television show. And then, you know, so I was like, all right, well, people are telling me if it was more, if it was more than two people, it was like, okay, there's something here. Then I study that, figure out what the structure of a half hour is, what the structure of an hour is, because um, if you don't know, you gotta know. And it was one of those things where it was like, okay. I've never been in a writer's room. Yeah, I'm in a class that's operating like a writer's room, and you know, you always learn. I mean, I learn every day in my room. You know. Yeah, that's. I think that's why I, I asked that. You know, because I've heard from writers' rooms where it's like, yeah, this. You know, this guy's our, our our joke guy, right? And we always go to him for like the the punch ups, and then we have a really good like story guy. And we so, you know, I was I'm I was I guess I was curious um, if they are if there's there are labels in the writers' rooms that you currently work at you know yeah i mean i think i think to your point man there's definitely people who excel in certain areas at the writer's mm -hmm. room right i mean like and that's okay and that's that's awesome right that's that's kind of what you want right you want a diverse writer's room where people are bringing different perspectives to it i mean we have um people that have been working for 20 years in the industry in our writer's room and they're in amazing at structure i mean like i it's it's incredible watching what they can do and and where the story all, all like materializes from you know it's amazing um and so like dominic i've been learning a ton right yeah. and um then you have some dudes that are just like so naturally effortlessly funny right? and and that's amazing and like and i know for example myself like i'm never going to be the funniest person in the room and that's cool and i think that's one of the things that you have to learn as a young writer or be okay with as a young writer you don't have to fight to be the funniest dude in the room the best dude in the room you got to learn right you got to come into this room and understand what it is that you do well and try to bring that into the mix. You two currently are in writer's rooms. Um, can you briefly tell us like how the path that you got there? Are there any stories as far as like when you ended up getting your current position? Uh, so this this writer's room, uh, I always said this, this was divine. This was the writer's room that was for me. Um, you know, I have been developing uh, television for about a year, um, and I always wanted to be in a writer's room, but I wanted to be really specific about the writer's room that I was in. Uh, I didn't want to just be on any random show. I wanted to be involved in a show that I felt um, really taught something as well as was entertaining. That really was just something special that I feel like could move the needle forward. Um, and then one day uh, I, I had an interview for the show that I'm on now uh, called Pink Marine. And so I hosted something for, for a producer that I didn't know, but I was just like, oh, well, maybe one day down the road. Um, and he just happened to be one of the producers, but I didn't know him well. And my manager contacted him, got him the script. And they were like, oh, we're looking for writers now. 
he loved the script. So he went to bat for me there. I met the showrunner eventually. The showrunner loved me. Then I met the guy uh, who the show was based around. He loved me. And then it was like, it was a series of meetings that, yeah, now I'm here. And well, there in the room. Yeah, my story is similarly serendipitous, right? Um, I'd been trying to break into the industry for 20 years. And I was convinced multiple times when I tried to get writers gigs, you know, previously that no, this is the show They're like, I want this show, right. And then, um, you know, I, I had been working as an exec over at Deepak Chopra's company for for a while a couple of years ago. And it was at that time that they announced the Wonder Years. And um, and I don't know what it was about that show. You know, I, I loved it growing up. Um, I, the style of the show was very similar to one of my favorite um, original pilots that I had written. And so I just, there's something about it. I was like, I, this is the one I want. Like, without a doubt, this is the one I'm going to bat for. And my managers, it just so happened. Um, and this is, I think this is the part of the serendipitous uh, element of the industry that doesn't get talked about as much is that it's really about connections, right? So my managers in this case, whereas they previously didn't have as close connections to other showrunners, happened to know this showrunner personally, right? And so I was able to get a meeting. And it just so happened that this showrunner, you know, Saladin Patterson is in the, <laughs> he's an awesome dude that's just like trying to be out there and give people shots. And he decided that I was worth a shot and, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. Is there, specifically for Yamin, is there any extra added pressure as a writer trying to live up to, like, doing a show that there was an original version that people loved, was beloved? Are, is your writer's room, are, like, do you feel writers feel they have to live up kind of to the original version of the show? Um, or was, you know, did it feel like that initially when you, when you first started? I, you know... That's a great question. Um, I think there has been a lot of expectations of that, uh, especially when you look around in the media and like you see kind of people's general reaction to it and and like why they got to make a new Wonder Years. But what I think uh, Saladin did that was so smart is that he made sure that this was more of a reimagining of the Wonder Years. We weren't trying to tell the same story. Mm -hmm. um, so I think right there the pressure is already off. Uh, what we're trying to do is sh uh, share another perspective of the same year, 1968, in you know a segregated America, where you know you get to see how the other half lived and how, you know, the experiences in America were not just Kevin Arnold's experiences, but also, you know, the experiences of black people from the South who were going through a completely different thing. And so when we're doing this reimagining, it's, I think there's a lot less pressure because we're getting to tell stories that are in sometimes, you know, inspired by the original, but go in a completely different direction. We have that freedom to do that because of this. Nice. And, and Dominic, you recently posted on your Instagram that the executive producer of your upcoming Netflix show, Pink Marine, who just happens to be producing legend Norman Lear, uh, name dropping, uh, he dropped by your writer's room. Is that it was that is that yeah, accurate? Yes, uh, and like, what does Norman Lear say to you in a writer's meeting? That's like just seems so surreal. <laughs> Uh, it, is, it is very surreal. <laughs> I, I cried like a three year old baby. Um <laughs> Just because um, when I say I was intentional, like if you look at the Norman Lear canon, do you know what I'm saying? Like all in the family, Jefferson's uh, facts of life, more than one that he was, but so much of what he did was about something that moved the needle forward. He was talking about stuff that nobody was talking about 40 years ago. Um, 
and it's 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 just an honor to be a part of something that has his name on it um to hear him like literally he it was a zoom thing but you could feel his presence like the energy chain like this man is on another vibrational frequency and i think um that's part of the reason why he's been able to do the work that he's done because it's it's about something bigger um and I think, you know, this show, Pink Marine, is about a closeted um, a kid who pre-don't ask, don't tell, joins the Marines with his best friend. And it's just like having to kind of hold back, you know, the core of who you are. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just, it speaks to everything that I believe in. And yeah, it's just, you know, when I, when I, when I met him, it just, I just, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did you like stop sharing your screen for a second and just like okay, uh, <laughs> l- well, let me take my camera out. Let me take my camera out for two seconds. No, not because he's so giving. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. He like, yeah, and it was it was like the week after they just did the Facts of Life mm-hmm. uh, live show, and yeah. you know, and he, I mean, the first word out of his mouth on that special was like fuck something. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's gangsta, and it's just uh, no, it's it's it's. There's no pressure because kind of going back to what um, you had asked, you know, you mean about the advice, you know, if I had to answer that, I would just want people to know that they're worthy, you know, and that was something like in that first week or, you know, is I'm worthy to be in this room. I have just as much to offer than anybody else. It doesn't matter like how many years you've been writing in TV, like you are there for a reason and like you got to honor that, you know, um, so I think if anything, what being in a Norman Lear, you know, room has taught me is that I'm worthy, you know, and just as worthy as anybody else. So uh, what kind of obstacles have you uh, encountered in your career? And were, and were any of these obstacles related to you being Latino? Like, did you feel maybe, you know, some type of imposter syndrome, uh, specifically, you know, being a Latino in a space where... Um, you know, still has a low percentage of, of Latino writers right now in, in the Hollywood mm-hmm. TV writing room. With- I mean, imposter syndrome is very real. It is. It exists. I, I'm the only uh, Latino person in my writer's room. Um, and it's easy to, if you choose to, to kind of negative spiral. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's why it's so important um, to trust yourself, to trust who you are, to know you're worthy, to go in there um, and, and fight for story, fight for your characters, um, speak up. I think oftentimes people, from what I've been told, people are like, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. Um, I made a promise to myself when I when I got this job is that I'm not going to give a fuck. Like I'm there for a reason. Like this man chose me. You know, and, you know, we have three Latino, Latina, Latinx series regulars on it. And it's my job to advocate for story, for representation for those characters, because those characters, like, there, there's a character that I created that wasn't in the pilot, that was brought, that is not potentially going to change somebody's life. So it is my job to go there and, and, and go to bat. And that's what everybody's doing. But... Um, I, when I'm in the room, I don't have time to spiral or in self-doubt. So it's just, 
it is, and it's and it's a ritual. Like people laugh at me. I have my incense going in the writers' room. Crystals. <laughs> I got my little scent. I'll be pulling cards. <laughs> Do you it have kombucha crazy. in your writers' yeah. room, or is that just you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, you take the kombucha. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Yamin, have you had any kombucha-related obstacles uh, that have <laughs> that you've dealt with? I don't know with? what no. you guys are talking about. I don't drink like, kombucha. <laughs> no, but have you dealt with any kind of, uh, you know, being a Latino um, in, in the trying to be a writer in, in Hollywood, any obstacles there? Oh, yeah, man. It's, um, I mean, that's why we created East Philly B, right? It yeah. is one, you know, I, I was leaving NYU. I had gone to NYU for grad school. And I was leaving NYU and I was just seeing the absolute scarcity of Latino stories out there, you know, especially East Coast Latino stories, right? So things that I could relate to growing up in Brooklyn and the type of people that like I chilled and considered my family, just, you know, you couldn't see it. And it's hilarious because we, we created East Willie B in order to, you know, show that our community had skills, to show that our community had stories that were worth telling. And then we went out to market with it. And the initial reactions were hilarious because it's not... Mexican enough right off the bat. It's not Mexican enough, right? Then it's not Latino enough, right? Then it's not mainstream enough, right? As if like mainstream people couldn't relate to these stories when in reality, the stories we're telling are legit. They're just New York stories. Right? We just happen to be Latino. We're not speaking Spanish. And we, and we did that consciously, you know, we have Spanish here and there, but you know, we consciously were like, this is an, this is a English show because this is the way that I grew up, you know, you know, speaking English with Puerto Ricans, with Dominicans, with, with Haitians, with, Asians, you know, everybody from the hood. And, um, you know, it's, and it's crazy when you hear, you know, the feedback is that it's not Latino enough because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Latino. I'm yeah. not, I'm <laughs> Latino who are in this show. Like, yeah. the, we are Latino. This is our story. Um, so that was an interesting obstacle. And, and I think it's it speaks to the need for representation, not just in the writer's room, but in the exec rooms as well. Mm -hmm. Because the only reason why we were able to eventually sell East Willie B to ABC was because we had Latinos in the pitch meeting who understood the story, who were able to say to the higher up execs that, yo, this is this is something that we should check out. This is something we should give it a shot. And that's why it's just so important that we get representation on that business side as well, not just on the creative side. Um, so, yeah. What is your routine that kind of gets your kind of creative writing juices flowing, right? You know what I mean? I mean, uh, writers always procrastinate. That's kind of like the stereotype, but it's real. Uh, but do you, you know, do you prefer writing late at night? Are you a morning person? Do you like to go to the, your local Starbucks and, you know, is that like what, what, what kind of gets your creative Hugo, <laughs> Hugo, right? Uh, going. Uh, I, I say now, um, you know, the writer's room that I'm involved in is virtual and we're on LA hours. So it's like one to seven, seven, eight. So everything that I do for the most part, uh, for my own projects, I have to take care of in the morning mm. because after spending seven hours on Zoom, I'm beat. That Zoom fatigue is <laughs> real. Um, so yeah. it's it's waking up, it's working out, um, it's giving yourself the permission uh, to write, you know, and and allow it to be whatever it's gonna be. Um, it's challenging sometimes with deadlines, but you have to be able to like. It'll get done when it gets done. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's straight up. Some of the hardest creative moments are when you're trying to force it, right? And and it's like, um, 
like Dominic, I so I work LA hours in New York, so I'm working you know one to eight, and uh, my the only time that I have is the morning. So you got to create a routine. That's important for me is creating a routine to try to write. And I and I I'm a big advocate of just throwing diarrhea on a page because some days you know you're not going to create like good work and. It's just about maintaining that routine of, hey, I'm just going to sit down and create garbage. If that's what it's going to take today. And you'd be surprised that sometimes you sit down and you start creating something that you hate. And there's good, just like a little gem in there, one sentence that will turn into a bigger idea that you can really polish. Um, and it's about trusting yourself to not be perfect. Right. And I think it goes back to what Dominic said earlier about worthiness. Right. You got to really believe that you are a writer that's, that has stuff to say. And that eventually, you know, despite the muddled, you know, cacophony in your head, there's going to be something that pops out that that you really love and that people are going to it's going to resonate with people. Um, and so, I mean, for me, I would say that, you know, working out is big for me as well. I like to run and a lot of creative stuff come, you know, on my runs when I'm like, I can't think because I'm so winded or so in pain and stuff. And for some, something about that like opens up creative because I, I just allow things to flow and then I'll get one idea, one little seed and you come home and you jot it down and you try to polish it. I'm Jamie's a, more a, of a speed walker. <laughs> so that process no, I was going to say, I'm a bath guy. Like I get these, I, I, I you oh. look, I ain't going front. I like the bath. Um, <laughs> I you take like baths? I, you, you wait, legit take baths though? I, I legit take I baths. baths. I, I got a bubble take bath. baths. Not really? bubble baths. You know, relax. I get the waters already in there. You candles. go in there. And you, my mind works there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I read there. Scented candles. You know, I try not to like I try not bombs. to wet the Kindle. Yeah. But um, but a lot of times I get I get ideas there. I like I like it's bath. all cucumber melon. My, why do you sound like you're trying to defend yourself? Well, because you guys always make fun of me for that. But <laughs> I, I got your back. Thing. I got your back. I'm a big bath guy too. I Thank you, Dominic. If you want to start a group with Jamie, like the bath writers group, the bath writers group, we're gonna uh, start a Facebook group. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Final <laughs> final question. We started off the show on our monologue talking about there's such a low percentage of TV Latino writers. Um, mm. One, what's your opinion? Why? And two, for up-and-coming, aspiring TV writers, what is some advice for them trying to break through? Like, going back to what Yamin says, there, there needs to be more of us, I feel, on the creative level, not just the creative level, but the executive level, the agency level, the management level, because um, it's so hard. It is. It's fucking, like, it's real out in these streets. It is so hard. Uh, my manager now on the literary end, she's a Latina from Brooklyn. Um, she called me uh, after reading my script. I had a script that ended up on the blacklist. She was one of the first people to call me. She's like, you're going to meet with other people, but you're going to sign with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's confidence. I, I felt like a girl, you know, at the club would do pushing up, but like, <laughs> right. Because, you know, um, she, she understood my level in a way that nobody else did. And the way that she goes to bat for me is so hardcore that I have absolute trust in her. She's one of like five Latino managers I know. Um, on the agency side, I I have I don't have any Latino, you know Latino Latinx agents. Um, I have two white agents, um, an Asian agent, a black agent. But it's just like where are they? Like. I don't even know if they exist at my agency right now. Uh -huh. And that's sad. Uh, so we need to be on all levels of this industry because that's really how shit gets done. 
Um, that's how I got an agent. I ended up on the Latinx list. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's just like people need like it's like holding the door open. And I um, have been very fortunate to have people hold the door open for me. And that's why I continue to hold the door open for other people. So that's the only way. Make room in that tub, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I got a big tub, Jamie. So. I'm not growing my tub. I'm, not, I'm, it's, I'm a little like, I feel like Tom Hanks and Big when I'm in my tub. But, um, oh my God. Yummy? You know. What about you, bro? Um, so, yeah, as Dominic said, we got to have people that, that really believe in that mission, that, that come from the backgrounds that, that we come from, that can understand and see when are writing and, and know that it's worth stories worth telling. Um, my, my managers, uh, are two black women who I think very similar to what Dominic experienced were, you know, people who finally got my voice. Right. And before I, <laughs> believe it or not, like I, after I sold East Willie B, I could not get an agent to save my life. Couldn't get an agent to save my life. It was crazy, you know, cause I, they would be like, all right, well, you know, show us your, your, pilot and I showed them the pilot and they were like, we don't understand this. Legit. This is uh, that, that is a comment that I got is like, we don't understand this. Um, uh, but but we we love your writing and stay in touch, right? It's, it's, it's incredible. And then, you know, these two black women read it and they understood it. And they're like, yeah, of course, you know, we'll rep you. And then they stand by your side and they're putting you into the rooms that matter, you know, for people that will understand it. And eventually something happens, right? And and I, and I think in terms of like a young writer, again, like going back to because, you know, what Dominic said is just like so on point with regards to worthiness. It's like you have to believe in your vision and understand that your voice is worth something. Right. Just because someone doesn't get it or tells you to your face they don't get it doesn't mean that you're writing nonsense. Doesn't mean that you're writing something that's not worth being on screen. It just means that it's not the right audience. Right. And you'll find the right audience. Like persevere, like really believe in your vision, believe in your voice and Get it to the right people. And eventually that thing is going to click. I promise. I promise. But you got to be your number one supporter from the start to the end. And you got to believe it. Can I jump in real quick? You got to believe in it even when everything in the world is telling you not to. You got to believe mm. in it when you got $237 in your bank account. Facts. Like that's how real it is. Like Because like no matter what I ever went through in my life, there was always this hardcore faith that no matter what, it was going to work out. And it's going to work out. And like, yeah. Because that's what gets you by. Because the shit is it's real. It's fucked up. Like, you're going to go mm-hmm. hard times. You're going to get rejected. The same script that got me on the blacklist got fucking rejected 500,000 times. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And this is it's, stuff writers um, need to hear. A lot of writers yeah. get discouraged, right? You know, because rejection, that's you get a lot of rejection in the creative entertainment business in general. Like, from actors yeah. and... and, and um, Dominic knows this too as an actor, you know, there's rejection there, writers, you know, directors. So um, you got to you got to deal with the rejection. Um, you got to persevere through that. It gets dark. And mm-hmm. and there I mean, I, I, on 100 percent, like on the real, I was about to give up writing before I got this job. Right. I, I had been you know, I have two young daughters. I got to provide for them. I had a steady job like I was earning money. And there was part of me that was like. I this writing thing has got to end, right? This dream that I've had my entire life that is not making me money has got to end. I've got to focus on the thing that just sustains my family. And and that's legit. But there's something about my personality I just could not kill. 
with regards to like wanting to be a creative. And so I was on the verge of quitting until this, this job miraculously came together. And I know other artists uh, who were involved in East Willie B, you know, um, other friends who were on the verge, they were at their darkest moment before the thing clicked, mm-hmm. you know? And I think you gotta, like Dominic said, you gotta really just believe even through the darkest times that that you are worth it, that you've got something. And one day, man, that, that thing is gonna happen. Thank you so uh, much yeah. for being part of the, the show. Um, how can our listeners and viewers find you on social media? Uh, I'm very uh, easy. It's just at my name, Dominic Colon. Yeah. Um, at Y Siegel Ooh. on Instagram. Okay. Soon to be Beanie. Oh, God. Beanie Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, guys. That was another great episode of The Translators. Okay. Yes. We want to thank our guests, Dominic Colon. And Yamin Siegel. And Jerry for, Jerry. you know, doing amazing research and that question. We that love was... Jerry. We love Jerry. And, of course, at, at the end of every Translator show, we like to drink from our personalized coffee mugs. Ow, not too hard. This costs a lot of money. It's expired. What, the cup? Oh, it's in there. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah, this is bad. <laughs>